What do rose quartz, jasper, calcite, and green aventurine have in common? Yes, they're all crystals, but they are all a part of Claire's crystal shop. I am so excited to be partnering with my friend Claire to shine a light on her gorgeous crystals. Claire founded her crystal shop after her own healing experience with crystals, and now she offers hundreds of them for purchase. If you've ever thought of buying a crystal like Amazonite for increased clarity or fluorite to lessen anxiety, Claire has got you covered. Along with crystals, Claire offers ritual kits, tarot cards, candles, and tons of information on her Instagram on which crystals might be the best for you. I personally have had the best experience with Claire's shop and recently have had an incredible experience with a green aventurine crystal. Literally, you guys, the second I held this crystal, I got goosebumps and I felt pulsing down my arm. And I'm a skeptic about these things sometimes. It was absolutely wild. Every time I hold this crystal now, I get the chills. So check this out. For my listeners, Claire is offering a free self-love ritual kit with the purchase of $15 or more when you type in Growing Woman in the notes section at checkout. Just use that note section at checkout, not the code section, and you will receive a free self-love ritual kit. So what comes in the self-love kit? A candle, a mini bag of crystals, a rose quartz crystals, a Spotify playlist, and instructions on how to set up your ritual so you can set aside some time with yourself. Head to etsy.com shop slash Claire's crystal shop to browse her beautiful collection. And you can head to the show notes to click that link as well. I truly love Claire's products and I cannot wait for you all to check out her crystals and your very own self-love ritual kit just in time for the holidays. Enjoy your crystals from Claire. You will not regret it. Welcome to another episode of Growing Woman. I am your host, Christina Singh, and Growing Woman is a podcast all about uplifting and amplifying women's voices and stories. If you can hear some noise in the background, it's because my husband and my little baby are playing. So apologies if you can hear them in the background, but also not sorry because it's super cute. So today on the show, I am so excited because um, one of the best humans I know, Melissa Larson, joined me on the show. And Melissa and I met in Buffalo, New York, where I used to live for about three and a half years before I moved to New York City. And right away, I talk about this at the top of the show, but right away, I felt this just gorgeous, instant connection with Melissa. There's like a handful of people I can, you know, I can count in my brain where I've had this just like instant, oh, we're friends now kind of feeling. And Melissa is that person. And throughout the time that I've known her, she has been in the world of yoga. And she was one of the people who 
cheered me on um, when I first started practicing yoga like nine years ago. But that makes it sound like I've been practicing consistently. I have not been. Um, But Melissa is just this kind, loving, energetic soul. Um, She has this very magnetic personality. She's just so easy to talk to. And whenever I'm with her, I laugh so much. Um, I just know you're going to love this episode because we talk about her journey into yoga. We talk about then her journey into becoming a doula. So when I was pregnant with my son, I took a course with Melissa because I was like, oh my God, I know I have a friend who's a doula, Melissa, and I wish I had lived in Buffalo or I could have somehow transported her here in a pandemic um, to be my doula because she's just such a kind, loving, just incredible soul. And so we talk all about her role as a doula and choices in birth and um empowered movement. We talk about breath. We talk about decolonization of yoga, all all the things. So I'm so excited for um, you guys to jump into this episode. It's actually the longest episode of the show that I've recorded thus yet because we reached the hour and I was like, girl, do you have time to keep going? Because we have not even scratch the surface and I just like I need to keep talking to you and so we we had a really wonderful conversation and I hope you enjoy it um you will also notice that there are two sponsors of this episode and I am so excited to be partnering with uh Claire of Claire's Crystal Shop and then my dear friend Laurel Carpenter who's been a guest on this show um who runs Pearl Consulting NYC with her partner Charles they're both sponsoring this episode so I am I'm really excited to bring these um women-owned businesses to you guys as sponsors of Growing Women and um when you support them you support the show so I I highly encourage you not to just go support them to support the show but because they're incredible and the products that they're advertising and the the moments that I've had working with them and and using their products or um working with them to enhance myself <laughs> um have been just so beneficial to me and I just knew that you guys were going to love them. So um, if you want more information on today's sponsors, they're in the show notes and I'm just so excited to dive into this episode with Melissa. We're going to take a short ad break and then we're going to dive into our conversation with Melissa. Enjoy this episode, guys. I'm going to stop talking. We're going to dive into an ad break and then you are just going to adore this episode with Melissa Larson. Thanks everyone and have a beautiful week. Starting and running a business can be exciting, but there are so many things to think about and marketing your business effectively is one of them. One of the biggest things you have to tackle when starting your business is how you want to present your message to the world and having a clear brand voice is part of that. 
Your brand is not just about your logo. It's about all the ways you convey what you're about from the fonts you use to the tone and messaging of your copy. Explaining clearly and effectively who you are and why you're unique can set you apart from your competitors and help build your business. And sometimes the things that make you special are hard to see for yourself. That is where my friends at Pearl Consulting NYC come in. They are masters at helping small businesses and solopreneurs jumpstart their brand voice and messaging. And I am so excited to be partnering with them to share their Reveal Your Brand package with you all. Reveal Your Brand is Pearl Consulting NYC's signature program aimed at authentically uncovering your brand's voice without resorting to formulas or imitating others so you can attract the right clients for you at an affordable price. As writers, Pearl Consulting NYC focuses on voice, the words and phrases that make up a brand. So what do you get with the Reveal Your Brand package? Two one-hour creative collaborative virtual sessions where the Pearl Consulting NYC team takes you through a series of questions designed to uncover what makes you and your business unique in your industry. They reveal your ideal clients and figure out who your real competitors are. A hint, you can't just find them from a Google search. Session number one focuses on revealing your brand and session number two focuses on the words you'll use to describe what you offer. Within three to five business days after the second session, Pearl Consulting NYC will create a written document clearly outlining your mission and brand voice, including taglines, tone examples, and a dictionary of brand relevant words to use in your copy. You can make up to two revisions to this document as a part of the package price. Companies spend thousands of dollars and months on their branding, but the Pearl Consulting NYC team wants this to be affordable and a quick turnaround for their clients. What a way to jumpstart your brand in the best way possible. Even more exciting, Growing Women listeners get an exclusive 10% off their Reveal Your Brand package price using the code GROWINGWOMAN at checkout. That's 10% off using the code GROWINGWOMAN in all caps, one word, at checkout. Head to pearlconsultingnyc.com slash reveal-your-brand to sign up for the Reveal Your Brand package today and get the support you need to reveal your brand's authentic voice. Again, pearlconsultingnyc.com slash reveal-your-brand. Hey guys, I do want to offer a content warning for this episode. We do talk about disordered eating, traumatic birth, and sexual trauma. These are mentioned briefly in the episode, but I want to make sure to offer a content warning if you do need it. (laughs) Melissa, welcome to Growing Woman. I am so (laughs) excited to have you here. I just know this is going to be the best. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to be here too. (laughs) Welcome. I am so excited. Um, If you're listening to this episode, you can already guess Melissa and I know each other. (laughs) Um. You and I met when I was living in Buffalo, New York, and mm-hmm. I, you are one of the handful. I, I've been thinking about like the way I wanted to open our conversation for a while, like basically, but even before I asked you to be on the show, cause I was like, oh, I hope she'll come on. Um, but you and I met and you are literally like, I can count on my um, hand, how many people I've met. And I've had like a very instant connection with where it's like, oh, we are friends now, (laughs) just like literally upon meeting. And then Mm -hmm. like 
every, we don't see each other very often. Like we've kept in touch over the years. We're not like, you know, super duper involved in each other's lives, but you're that person out of like a handful of people where it's just like, whenever I am with you, we're just, we're like great friends. And it's like, yep, we're close. Like this is just how it is. And we just like laugh. And I, I get that energy from you. And like, I, you're just that person where whenever I think about you, I'm like, oh, I'm going to have the best time talking to Melissa right now. So I'm really excited that you're me on too. the show. <laughs> so, Thanks for, for asking me to do this. <laughs> yes. Well, you, I have known you for a long time. So, yeah. um, I met you through a mutual friend and you at the time, I believe you were, do you were a doula. Um, mm. and I, I believe so. I, maybe you just, just started out, but yeah, you, um, you were also, um, a yoga teacher and you were studying, you had already been to India and you were studying yoga and you were actually the first person who, um, introduced me to Ashtanga because I had never heard of it before. And, um, I remember after meeting you and talking to you about Ashtanga, um, I talked to my dad who is from Punjab and he was like, I was like, Oh yeah, my friend, I met, um, a new friend and she does Ashtanga. And he goes, Oh, that's intense. And (laughs) (laughs) and I remember being like, Oh, (laughs) but she's crazy lady. <laughs> she's like, oh, wow. That's intense. He's like, I just breathe. <laughs> like, um, but I remember feeling like, cause I had just kind of started doing yoga when I met you. And, um, I remember feeling so supported by you. And I remember feeling like, so held and you're so calming. And so I wanted to really talk to you about these two aspects of your life. Um, you as a doula and you in your yoga practice and your, um, building this like empire basically that you have in my brain. Um, I love it. So how, <laughs> so as I know you yoga came first, correct? Mm-hmm. So how did you, how did you start your journey in your practice? Oh gosh. Um, it's actually a funny story, of course. So I, well, I, I was living in New York city at the time. It was around, uh, 2003 and there were a couple of things going on. Um, so there was college. So I was in a very demanding um, theater conservatory at the time. And then I, um, was also like, like, do I want to talk about this? But I feel like it's relevant because do it, <laughs> I know, do it, say the thing, <laughs> say like the, say the thing. I had a little bit of an eating disorder for a mm. long time. Like a, it, it's always, if, if anyone's ever struggled with like addiction or eating disorders, it's always, it's like this thing that's just like kind of there, you know, and you learn, I, I, this is my experience with it is I learned, I've learned over the years how to watch it. And I'm Mm. like, Ooh, it's sneaking up. (laughs) Like, Hey friend, why, like, why do you need to come out right now? And how can I adjust my life so that you don't feel like you have to come in and protect me and take control. Yeah. And at the time I 
hadn't learned my like ninja moves. Right. <laughs> yeah. Still, I was still very much like in it. Um, and I was living in New York city. I was young. I was 18, um, 18, 19. And, uh, for theater school, they said, you know, we should take yoga classes. And I remember living in New York and I, I was like, would meet the yoga people and the yoga people were like babes, you know, they were like, (laughs) (laughs) they were were like calm. They like knew how to handle food. (laughs) Right. You're like, you're responsible in these ways. You know how to control yourself and like, you know how to be in your body. So like, for me, that was really enticing. Um, mostly from like a physical standpoint, it was like, there was something about the look and the energy of people who practice that was like an easy sell for me. Mm. Um, and then they were telling us to do yoga in college. So I took my first yoga class and, um, you know, me, I'm like, I have a very energetic personality. (laughs) I can also be quite like calm, but, Mm -hmm. um, I got into this class and it was a lot of like cat cow and gentle restorative, which now I love. But at the time I was like, get me the fuck out of here. (laughs) I can't, I am not laying down on this mat. I'm not going to watch my breath. This is so interesting. Like, yeah, I just wanted to run for the Hills. My mind was freaking out. And I think it was because I had, my system was so, upregulated from like years of coping with anxiety and stress and some childhood trauma with an eating disorder, um, like throwing myself into New York city, like a whirling dervish and just having like, you know, being in theater school and just like, I could not calm down. It was way too much for me. And that experience was so helpful because I have this compassion for people who tell me they're like, like, I'm not going to get on a mat and meditate or do yoga like this. You're crazy. And I was like, yeah, I know it sucks, but maybe it's just not that like, you've got a style in mind. That's not a good fit for you right now. So that was my first experience with yoga, but I kept going back because I just was so inspired by practitioners that I was seeing and meeting. Um, and then I ended up in a karma yoga program at Sonic Yoga um, in Midtown. And so a karma yoga program is you I know, show up. Be like, you, what the hell is that? Like, what's a right. karma yoga program? What's a karma yoga? I wore, I wore a little like fairy suit and I just jumped around <laughs> and made people happy. <laughs> <laughs> <No>, I like, <laughs> you could have told me that and I would have been like, okay. Okay. Um. But yeah, so I, uh, what you do is you just like work desk hours for, for free and then you get free yoga classes. And it was great because I was like this broke theater kid in New York city. And I just really wanted to, I really wanted to do more yoga. Um, and I wanted to try different styles of yoga because I was so inspired by these people that I saw. And then I found like power vinyasa yoga and it was perfect for someone in my shoes because there was music there was tons of movement. It was engaging. Um, you know, you were in rooms with like bodies shuffling, 
But most importantly, like there was this undercurrent of traditional classical yoga in those rooms beyond like the music and like the different vinyasas and stuff. And what that did, and I, I started to take a lot of classes, like some days I would be in there twice a day, just banging it out. Cause I loved it so wow. much. Um, and what, what happened was because my nervous system was downregulated, this is what I've, you know, through my own kind of study of myself, my nervous system had started to downregulate from the pranayama, from the breath work and the movement right. on breath and from focusing my mind that my panic attacks stopped. My anxiety became manageable and I started to like learn, I learned, was learning how to eat for the first time in my life. And like, I remember the first time I was working at a, as a server at a luncheonette. And I remember the first time I discovered the power of oatmeal for breakfast. Wow. And like, yeah, I mean, just like, wow, like this is amazing. I'm not going to take, you know, a huge cup of coffee with skim milk and a ton of sugar because it doesn't have any fat in it. Right. Like I was from that generation of the fat yeah. generation do, yeah. and I'm going to eat this, this oatmeal and I'm like, wow, like I have energy and I feel better and I'm not getting as sick. And it, I mean, it wasn't just the oatmeal, right? <laughs> there were other, sure, other but nourishing things about, coming in. Yeah, yeah. That moment of feeling something. Yeah. Right. Right. And I felt like I was, um, yoga gave like my yoga practice and my time at Sonic Yoga really gave me that first, um, experience of like being in my body and being in my breath and being able to find some sort of stillness in my life where I had just been moving, moving, always mm -hmm. moving, like never any stillness from the time I was a kid, you know, till the time I like went to college and just kept moving, moving. Yeah. So that was how I started vinyasa yoga. And, um, it was March, March 14th was my birthday, March 14th in 2009. I was on a retreat in Colombia with um, this really awesome teacher, David Regalin. And he had, there was a group of six or seven of us. And I remember I was on this retreat and I was like, you know, I'm not progressing in yoga anymore. I've been doing this now for, you know, X amount of years. I think at that point it was like, you know, almost 10 years of really wow. steady practice. Um, or no, sorry. My math is terrible. It was many years, many, it years. was many years. Okay. <laughs> many, many moons <laughs> of daily practice. And I just wasn't, it was like, what, like, I had a moment where I was like, all right, God, or whatever's up there. Like if I'm supposed to keep doing this, if I'm supposed to keep like putting in the effort, then show me, like, show me what, where I need to go. And, um, I left that retreat and I still was like, at the time I was teaching yoga, I took like a 200 okay. hour and, you know, just kept on that train. And, uh, I came back to New York and, um, I did this at the time, you know, you auditioned to be a teacher at yoga studios. Oh, like soul cycle. Like, yeah. Like you have to go in and like show the moves, you know? Oh. So I, I went in, I went in for an audition in my best Lulu duds. And <laughs> I met this uh, woman, Elise Espat, and she was managing the studio at the time. And they hired me on 
And I started teaching classes pretty regularly there. And she took one of my classes and was like, yeah, you know, I, I just really feel like being in your class. I'm just inspired to teach again. And I was like, oh, wow. That's so like, that's so humbling. What kind of style of yoga do you practice or teach? And she's like, I teach Ashtanga. And I was like, oh, cool. I'll drop into your class. And she was like, it isn't the class kind of class you drop into. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Please. I'm, I'm trying to support you here because that's you're also you like, right. I just taught you a class. Thank you very much. I've been doing yeah. this for a while, but oh. it's so funny that you say all this because like <laughs> we it's, there is that like level of confidence that you have after years of doing something. And then, I mean, you're in that field of mm-hmm. yoga, you're literally teaching. And then someone says something completely new. Of course, you're going to have that little defensive moment. So what happened yeah. from there? Well, I got super defensive and I was like, well, maybe I'm just not even going to go to <laughs> literally had this conversation. It like, see me on the subway. Like, I'm like, not even going to go to her class. Cause she was like, so mean to me. And then I finally, I, <laughs> I talked myself out of it and I was like, no, you know, support the community. Like, you know, this is a new studio. Let's support everyone. You can go. And like, she'll totally let you drop in. So I go to this, my Sora Stronga class And I, I drop in and everyone, so I go into the room and there's no music, right? So like, I love the music and the vinyasas and everything, no music, completely quiet. And all you hear is the sound of breathing and shuffling bodies, which was already in those other rooms, except now there's no music and everyone is doing their own practice at their own pace. But Christina like they were doing some cool shit, like, Mm -hmm. and, and they were the kind of yoga practitioners that I was seeing before that I was so inspired by just like focused and in their bodies. And like, I mean, some of the asanas that they were doing were so asana as a yoga pose, they were so technical and I was so curious, like I want to do those poses. So she taught me um, the sun salutation. So Surya Namaskara A and B, and then the fundamental asanas. And I remember doing, I remember doing some of the fundamental asanas and like getting into some of these really technical deep poses and being like, Oh fuck. Like that's why I can't do those poses. Uh. <laughs> like, and it was challenging my body in a way that those other classes hadn't. Yeah. And So she taught me like, so when you, when someone starts in a Mysore room, you just get taught the sun salutations, the, you know, maybe, maybe a couple standing poses at most, and then the three seated finishing poses, and then that's it. And then as you come back more, you learn more poses. Mm -hmm. And so I go up to her after class and I was like, yeah, that's great, but I want to do what he's doing. Can you teach me that? She was like, well, you have, you have to keep coming back. Like. I can't teach you that. You have to keep coming back. Those were her famous last words. Cause I was literally there every day. Like, <laughs> can I learn now? Can I learn now? Can I learn now? Cause it just was like, I felt like I had found that thing that worked and worked, worked for me, worked really well for me and my personality and, and my body type. And then a couple months later, she was like, you know, you should go to India. And I, at the time I was just like completely lost and, you know, decided I didn't want a career in theater. 
um, was living in New York, just like, all right, well, you know, what's next? Um, had some money from bartending and carted my little dupa off to India, my little <laughs> Buffalo Polish dupa off to India and was like, all right, I'm here now. <laughs> <laughs> radically transformative four month experience. And uh, I kept, I kept just kept going back. So I've yeah, six times you've been to India. I mean, I've, I've never been to India and I'm, I'm half Indian and have tons of family there. So I love that. Like you've been like so many times. <laughs> um, I have so many questions. So, yeah. okay. First question. Can you clarify um, what exactly Ashtanga is? Sure. So Ashtanga is a set series of postures linked with movement on breath, and it's taught gradually one-on-one in a group setting. Okay, perfect. Um, Because my experience when I went into an Ashtanga yoga studio in New York City, um, I went with a friend. I went, I had the opposite experience. I went once and I never came back. (laughs) Not to say I wouldn't be interested in doing it again, but I felt so intimidated because <laughs> it's a very intense practice. Yes. Like, people get very serious. Yes. Um, and so my experience was like, well, no, ma'am. Um, so I, I went and it was the exact same thing where it was no, um, music. There was nothing there. And, um, like nothing on tons of people there. And it was like, and I was was like, and then like, like of shuffling. And and I was like, wow, wow, like, what is this? And I loved it because I was like, oh, this is cool. But for me, obviously I'm, I don't have the experience that you had of doing years and years of yoga, becoming a teacher, all of these things. And so for me, it was just like incredibly intimidating walking into a space. And I remember I took one class and the teacher literally like had me, I didn't even do a full sun salutation. I just did like forward fold up and then like went and like tried to lift myself on blocks and he was like we're done for the day and I was like what (laughs) like what do you mean and and I remember being like (laughs) yes right so but I get it like I totally get it I, I was just so intimidated I think if I had done it because I definitely thought of you and I was like, if I did this with Melissa, I'm sure I would be, I would probably still be intimidated, but I know she would like hold space for my nervous, anxious energy, like going into a space where everyone looks like they could be in like Cirque du Soleil, like all of these things. So I love that. Like we had very opposite sides of the spectrum. I just never returned. Oh, I also paid for a monthly membership and I didn't return. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to go. And I was like, nope. Um, I was just super scared. Um, so I love that. Number one, you, um, you obviously love a challenge Mm -hmm. because walking into a space like that and being like, Oh, I want to learn all of this. Um, I feel embracing that challenge is really number one, courageous. Um, but I also think it speaks to your, um, 
determination. And I really, really enjoy that as a part of this story. And then I also love how open you are to the process, um, to the process of going through it. Obviously you're going up to, um, this teacher and ally and saying like, teach me now, (laughs) can I learn this one now? Can we do this now? Um, but you were so open to the process of learning and so much so that you ended up in India. (laughs) Um, so what was the experience like for you when you transitioned into this new practice and then what evolved from there when you went to India? Um, you know, I think, uh, I think when I, when I started to have, a a tradition, like a classical Mysore Ashtanga practice. And I, you know, I had already made the decision for myself. I promised myself that I was going to make yoga a part of my life for the rest of my life. Mm. Um, I knew that I didn't want to be on anxiety medication. I knew that I had a pre-existing relationship with an eating disorder and yoga seemed like not the more that I found out about it, the more, I was like, wow, this really works. It's it just delivered. If you do the thing, it delivers what it says it's going to do. Um, and like anything, you know, God, we've all done that thing where we, we commit to something or we, you know, change something in our life and then other parts of it start to melt away. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe parts that, you know, maybe you didn't have the clarity to see weren't a good fit anymore. So I, before my first trip to India and pretty soon after I had started a daily practice, I was in a relationship that I thought was going to be my, one of my forever people. And when I started practicing Ashtanga and changing my lifestyle, um, the relationship just didn't change with me. So we decided to part ways and, you know, took my, my little broken heart to India and, um, you know, I think every, every trip since then, um, just a little, a little bit, a little piece of me has changed or healed. Um, and I'm now so much slower in my life and so much more careful of what I bring into it. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with just how much I've, you know, my nervous system has slowed down from having a daily discipline practice. And when I came back from India, oh my gosh, (laughs) my mom and my stepfather are very religious. They're born again, Christian. And they were convinced I was going to join a cult. Like, (laughs) Like I was going to either become Hindu or join a cult, but you really can't do the first one. And then the second one, like, okay, maybe Ashtanga is a little bit of a cult. I don't know. Like, what is a cult? Like, I don't know. That's don't like know. the the funniest response you could say to your family. What is a cult, anyways? I'm gonna yeah, I'm going. Like, like, how dare you? Like, have you ever been to a born again Christian church? Like, they're speaking in tongues. Everyone's like slain in the spirit. Like, oh it's not, like there's a lot there's a lot of like spiritual stuff going on there. So, if yeah. anything, like we're kindred spirits. You're just having like 
you know, chocolate milk and I'm having chamomile tea or vice exactly. versa. Exactly. You know, the same. You're drinking um, different things, but of the, you know, the same, <laughs> same essence. Different Kool-Aid, but it's all the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Um, so I came home from my first trip to India and I love chanting, like my theater background. And then the fact that like, when you get into a traditional yoga practice, like Ashtanga, Sanskrit and singing Sanskrit and chanting are so much a part of the practice if you want it to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. So when I was in my first trip to India and and subsequent trips, I learned tons of mantras and like learned how to write a little bit in Sanskrit, like very basic level stuff. So I come home and I'm going to go back to New York City, but I stop at my parents' house. And this is after my first trip to India. And I am like, I am in it. Like I am, I am the Ashtanga (laughs) princess at that point, you know? So I would get up every morning really early, lay out my mat. And then I'd put like a little altar in front of my mat and I'd light my incense and I'd like sing and chant really loud and like, you know, do my practice, which is like shuffling and heavy and breathing. I remember, <laughs> I remember like opening the door to my stepfather, just like white as a ghost. Like, what the fuck is she up to? But I was just loving it, man. I just was, I'm, and even still to this day, it, it moves me so yeah. much to be able to start my day with a mantra that says like, thank you to all the teachers who brought this practice. Thank you to, like, I think of my ancestors. I think of all of the women who've gotten me here, who paved the way, like starting off with gratitude, moving my body sometimes somewhat begrudgingly, and then closing it with another thank you. Like, wow, you know, but at the time there was a lot of tchotchke involved too. <laughs> of course. Yes. Well, I think it's funny when you deepen your um, relationship with anything, the first thing um, it's kind of a little bit of like a pony show, a little bit of like, look, Hey, Hey, look at me, you know, like I'm doing okay. this kind of thing. Namaste. Like, yeah. <laughs> namaste. Um, yeah. Like, and I think that, so this is such an interesting um you're like the one yoga teacher that I know that has like put in the work, um, by going to India. I know that there are many others that have done this. Um, but there is a lot of conversation around decolonization in yoga right now. And like a lot of like, um, you know, when you talk about power vinyasa, um, it's kind of funny to me because from, I I grew up obviously Um, with my father's side uh, in an Indian family. And so there's, um, there have been a lot of conversations in my family about like yoga in the West and like the impression of it. And, um, you know, how people kind of eat it up here in like a very um, interesting way that my family has reflected upon being like, oh yeah, like there's all sorts of stuff here now. And so but in my lineage, it's a very traditional um, practice. And like, there's a lot of, it's seen as like something that's a huge health benefit spiritually. Um, and it's seen as something that's very grounding. And so my, you know, and, and so much so that when I mentioned you doing Ashtanga, my dad's like, well, that's intense because it's like a very spiritual connection to one's body, to one's practice in this movement. Um, so it's really um, 
I, I find it amusing to hear your stories of like your family's reactions and stuff, but I also think it also it comes with exposure and like what we know of yoga in the West too, like having it be more of a workout versus a spiritual practice. And you are like, cause you are a white woman. You are like the only white woman I know, um, that is currently practicing yoga and teaching yoga and has this yoga empire in my brain, um, that <laughs> you've gone to India multiple times. And I feel like you've really put in the work to understand this in a, in a very, very deep way. Um, would you say that's true? And how has that, you know, how have you, have you reflected upon all of this in your practice? Um, <laughs> well, if one is to build an empire, <laughs> um, well, like I, oh God, this is such a, this is such a cool question, um, with so many different ways I could go into it. So the actual practice of yoga, uh, actual practice of yoga, how do I want to start this? there there's no depth to this well of yoga there is absolutely no depth and people in india have been at this for so long they have done the work they have created systems they sat around fires and stared into them and thought about god they've moved their body you know so when we say that we can create that same kind of resonance by doing a new fitness program, we're kidding ourselves. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, if you are looking to experience yoga in its truest form, and I think this is the most beautiful thing about yoga and Patanjali would reference this too, is it's just, it's just simple. And it's, it'll come in and it'll sneak in to those power yoga classes that I took in the beginning, right? Yeah. Where that was just the, that was just the tipping point. And then there was something inside of me that was like, I want more. And I slowly found my way back to these very rich traditional practices. And then like, oh God, I'm going to cry. <laughs> My last trip to India was really hard. Personally, I was going through a really big transition. And I spent a lot of time at the Durga temple and um, really healing and reconnecting to the feminine mm -hmm. and, and just finding my power again and my voice again. And there's those mantras and those chants are there's there's magic there that if you and and it's it's a science it's a tone it's a resonance it's a the Devanagari alphabet is is put together in such an intentional and special way and all of those temples are so special and so intentional and you won't you wouldn't know until you like look just a little bit deeper, look just a little bit more beyond yourself. And there's so, there's so much healing there in, in that practice. And I'm so grateful that I've had the privilege in this, like, 
I don't know how I landed in this like beautiful, like this cisgendered white woman body with all of this privilege to be able to go and like do these things. Um, and I was, because I was able to do that, I was able to heal and, and recover. And so going back to the decolonization piece, it, you know, fuck, like, God, if we just take the time to go a little bit deeper, there's so much there. There's so much there, especially in like Ayurveda too, life science. Mm-hmm. Like, the jungle medicine, that's, that stuff is like, talk about things that work. So what I brought back with me from all of those trips was like um, a real appreciation for the work that those people did spiritually on the ground in India. Um, and I, I don't want to sensationalize because I think um, every every country has its issues and its problems. And I think there's also a lot of like sensationalization of the experience of India. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to travel to India and eat, pray, love. And I also <laughs> think that it's really important to respect that like, I mean, even now they just went through oh my god just what happened with covid yeah it was scary um, yeah a lot of my family was impacted um right. i really appreciate your answer and i appreciate your the resonance that um like and and like the the respect you have for the history of this practice the the intention um the fact that it was that it has been um happening for thousands of years and is really um, pieced together by people of color and in this way that's really deeply um, deserving of this respect and this recognition. And, and I love that you talked about peeling back the layer and just going a bit deeper. Um, even when you were talking about your power vinyasa class at the beginning, I love that you said there was just a, there were those um, the foundation of those poses, of those asanas, of those like the tradition in it. And then you just kept kind of peeling back the layers. Um, So when you, you know, got deeper into your practice and thank you for being so vulnerable, my friend. Um, (laughs) When you got into your practice, um, I very much remember you, we're going through a period of time where you wanted to open up um, your own space. And there was that like very transformative period in your life where at least I felt it was transformative um, that you were really committed to opening up your own space. What came from that? And, and what, um, what brought you to that conclusion and like, and that goal? Um, you know, I think that as a person, I'm very sensitive to energy more than most incredibly empathic. I enjoy like quiet spaces. Um, if, if I'm in a space that I'm teaching in, I am hyper aware of the experience of others and anything energetic that might be affecting or impacting the pureness of, you know, their 
time on the mat. And I say pureness, meaning like some days are not good, good practice days. Like some days you're working through some stuff. Yeah. Um, and it was really important to me that I was able to hold safe, well curated space. And when I was working for other shalas and other studios, so, so grateful for all the opportunities that I've had. And I'm now actually currently working for another school that's the best fit so far. Um, but what I found um, was that I needed that experience of what it meant to take care of a room totally by myself as the teacher, like to mother the space into life. And that moved me to find, you know, a rental space. And then I launched Ashtanga Yoga Buffalo. Um, and that was magic. We did that for seven years. And then, you know, COVID hit <laughs> and we yeah. went virtual for a couple of years. And then my doula work just like it took off in ways that I never, I could have never imagined and it became too much. So I paired back and um, now I just teach privately. And once a week, my students will come to a really awesome space here in Buffalo called Heart Fire Yoga. Oh, yeah. And yeah. So we have like that touch point every week. Some people will take private classes. And so it kind of was like, it, it was beautiful. Like the, the season of AYB kind of expanded and then like organically contracted. And I, I really had to, I did do a lot of processing and, and really letting go of, of that dream and understanding that um, at least for now, it, that chapter needs to be, uh, it's not put down. Like I'm still very much teaching, but like running the school that needed mm -hmm. to be put down because I was being, called elsewhere. Yeah. Um, I didn't know about the evolution of your, um, of your Shala late, like since COVID. So, but I did notice that there's like a freaking truck farting in the background right now. Um, <laughs> okay. So I, um, didn't know about your practice during COVID, but I did witness, um, your doula practice really kind of rise up <laughs> a bit more in your um, social media presence. And I was really, I've always known that you had this um, doula practice, but I didn't know how in depth um, you had, you know, gone into this work until I took a course with you when I was pregnant and I had known. And one of the things that I hate so much is that we don't live closer to each other because you would have totally been my doula. Um, but I was so excited to be able to take a course with you online. So how did you, I mean, I feel like doula work, like the work of a doula, um, and yoga pair so beautifully together. Um, and the way that you teach and, um, go through diaphragmatic breath work and, um, just all of these like beautiful, um, ways that these two worlds are married in 
in your life that I can witness, I really, really enjoy. And I think they're such a perfect combination. So how did you come to be a doula? Because that is a very interesting um, world. <laughs> yeah. Interesting world for sure. And what is a doula? <laughs> what is a doula? So um, there's, well, there's two kinds. There's actually three kinds. So you have a labor doula who specializes in walking with families um, through, you know, the gestational period and then through labor and early postpartum. And then you have a postpartum doula who specializes in the postpartum period of care for families. And there's a whole range of services there. And then you have a death doula who actually walks with families through the process of death. Um, wow. So yeah, those are, those are the three kinds of doula. I am a labor doula. That is my specialty. Okay. Specialization specialty. Yeah. <laughs> How did you come to be <laughs> a labor doula? <laughs> I, well, it actually evolved from yoga. Um, I was teaching yoga classes, vinyasa yoga classes, and then pregnant bodies would walk in the room and I would be like, the fuck do I do with this? Like, I've never had one. I don't want to hurt these people. And they like, I want to give them a class that they deserve. So I took a teacher training and I, for prenatal yoga with this amazing teacher, we still keep in touch. Um, her name is Juliana Mitchell and she's been a mentor and a friend ever since. And then I started teaching prenatal yoga and I loved it. And I would make friends with the people who'd come to my class and started to kind of hear about what a labor doula was at that point, but didn't really like, you know, know if that was something I wanted to do or, you know, and then, uh, then people had asked like two, two people or three had asked like, oh, you know, will you like, would you mind just kind of popping into my birth and like. I'm sorry that's hilarious to me (laughs) because we have these like long like nine month relationships or like seven month relationships in yoga we're like we're seeing each other sometimes twice a week yeah and like so I was just like well if I'm if I'm gonna go if I'm gonna go in to like in it I should probably know a little more and it's so ironic how how it happened so I I took a doula training at Life Cycles in Buffalo, which has since dissolved, but with this like amazing midwife, Eileen Stewart, turns out like I had no idea at the time, but Eileen Stewart is a legend. She is <laughs> one of the most amazing birth workers in the history of all time, legendary. So I didn't know it at the time, but I'm in this, this training literally with Bono, like <laughs> training <laughs> the best of the best, no idea. And so I roll out fresh out of doula school and um, yeah, kind of just started attending births right from there. And it started off really slow. You know, I would just attend for, families and, uh, or like friends and, yeah. uh, you know, never, never a family member actually, but just, you know, friends or like people from class, um, you know, sometimes for free, if folks didn't have a ton of income and then, you know, slowly 
it just grew and grew and grew from like, you know, two to four people a year to now I'm like up to 30 clients a year, which is just bananas. Yeah. It's a lot of babies. That's a lot of pain. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I, (laughs) super cool. Um, okay. So I have only been to one birth and that was my own. Um, and you have been to several births. What was, do you remember the first birth you attended? I do. Um, so, so I went into doula work and I'm coming, was coming from a yoga background. So I was pretty crunchy, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just knows how to do it. And like, which is good, but also like birth demands respect. Yeah demands it so I go in and and then I'm like I just had a doula training I'd watched some YouTube videos I'd read the books I was like studied with Bono like I was ready like I was good and it was a home birth and I was there from the start of the labor until the finish and it was it was gnarly and it ended in a transfer Mm -hmm. and like my whole every time in my life where I think I know I or where I, I start to lean towards fundamentalism, right? Like lean in one certain direction hard, then something like that happens. And I took a step back and was like, do I really want to do this? Like mm. this, this is intense and it's not unicorns and glitter. Like nope. it's real and stuff can happen like big stuff. And then, you know, so that was my first birth. <laughs> yeah, wow. But then here's the other ironic thing, Christina. So uh, the Eileen Stewart, the midwife, was the midwife at the birth. And then at that birth was my dear friend and colleague, Luann Conti, who, again, at the time had no idea I was working with like, <laughs> just coming up with all these musical artist names, <laughs> the share. <laughs> birth in Buffalo. Like, it's just so incredible, like so gifted, so incredible. If you want to have a low intervention birth and need a good birth team, like she's, she's incredible. So that was who I was with. And we instantly bonded and connected and we've maintained a really close relationship over all, all of these years. And she's really, I think Lou is really the one um, Lou and then another provider here in Buffalo, Catherine, Dr. Catherine Morrison are really the two who've like, I had that doula training and then like the friends and the relationship building that I was already kind of seasoned in. And then they really took me under their wing and taught me about what it's like to, to give birth um, as low intervention as possible. And mm-hmm you know, what is normal and what is not normal and, and how to hold space for those two things. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love this so much because we always talk about allyship on this show and we always talk about, you know, allies that I always ask my guests, you know, who in your life, um, would you identify as an ally? Um, who identifies as a woman and how have they helped you through your life? And so it sounds like these particular women have really been there to carry you through this particular journey. Um, when, uh, when you 
observed that. I mean, I had the same observation during my own birth. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) okay. I was like, this is not, we wear the cute robe. We do the makeup. Like we, you know, at this, I was like, this is not cute. Like Vegas baby. (laughs) Yeah. And like, and for me, when I gave birth, and I'm sure I would have felt this way in a birth as well. Like if I was witnessing a birth, I had only seen YouTube videos or I'd only seen, you know, been in classes and, and I did take the classes. Um, obviously I took one with you and I took some more through the, um, my hospital and cause I gave, I chose to give birth in a hospital. Um, but when I was there was really when I was like, okay, like this, because birth is bloody birth is scary. It's really scary. Um, and so much can happen in an instant and it really is wild to me how the, something can span for so many hours. And then in one instant, everything changes when call it the change there you go like the change i will happen soon yeah yeah and it's it can be a change that's scary it can be that beautiful moment of change when you give birth and your um your child is there in the world <laughs> but it is so wild to me how quickly things progress and in my labor things um progress progress quite quickly um And I remember there was a moment where, um, I, we were nervous. My son wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to push him past my pelvic bone because my, my pelvic bone is shaped in a particular way. And, um, he came out looking rough, like mom, what, what is this pelvic bone? Um, um, kind of, yeah, kind of, but it was more like he had little, the little angel kisses and stuff. Oh yeah. Um, and so, (laughs) but we at one point thought like that wouldn't be able to happen. Um, and I would need an emergency C-section, but then I just like pushed and my doctor was like, never mind. Um, so (laughs) yeah, but it's just so interesting how quickly things change. Um, and that, I feel like when you are going through something like that, you can feel that. But when you're observing that change, the change, I'm sure as someone who is a support person that can feel really daunting, how um, I'm really curious, how do you manage your own emotions Mm -hmm. during birth, like during a birth? Yeah. I think the yoga really helps just having so many years of pranayama training under my belt. Um, there's one, another, one of my teachers, her name's Karen strange. Um, she taught me uh, neonatal resuscitation, but she always, um, she always says like, take that big grounding breath, five grounding breaths and be in your body. And that energy helps to bring the whole room down. Um, in those unfamiliar moments to allow birth to unfold. Mm. And I just listened to this really beautiful podcast today. Um, it was the 
uh, positive childbirth stories, but I can email you the proper name of it. Yeah. Uh, this woman who had had eight kids. Oh, and, dear God. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the woman had asked, what is, what do you, what do you want to give for advice to, you know, anyone in this process? And she had said, you know, own your narrative and allow your story to unfold. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that. I think about that a lot organically in birth is all of the fear and all of the, you know, pre all of the expectations that these folks might be feeling. I'm feeling as a doula, you know, trying to do a good job for these people that have trusted me with the single most intimate moment of their life. It's a big thing. Um, you know, how do I let this unfold? and let our story together unfold. And, you know, I have that medical brain now. I know what the numbers are. I know how to see when something that's happening with a provider is normal. And when it's not normal, I know how to, to do that portion of my job really well. And I feel I'm a really good doula and I feel really confident in doing that. But I wish I could say, we were actually talking about this a little bit earlier. Like there is as grounded as I can be and in the moment and practicing all those things, you know, after leaving a birth and holding space for labor, it takes a lot out of you. It takes a lot out of the family. It takes a lot out of the doula. And sometimes everyone just needs a minute. And I don't think that's talked about enough. Like when the baby's born, there's, you know, ACOG is like, okay, like immediate skin to skin. And we know like, that's what the baby needs for sure. But like, everyone just, (laughs) it's just like, everyone just needs a moment. Like this was a lot. And, um, I would, I, I've been thinking a lot about that reverence lately. So I, I don't really have a, a way other than to kind of meet the moment with the tools that I have and do the best that I can. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that. And I totally agree on the moment and the need for pause. (laughs) You're going to laugh this, but like, I just remember, well, I remember having my son placed on my chest and I remember thinking he's super white and being (laughs) like, (laughs) being like, who are you? Because I had had dreams about a darker haired baby. And I never, my son is blonde. I am not blonde. My husband is not blonde. My son is blonde haired and blue eyed. And so when he came out, his hair was darker, but I remember he had lighter hair, lighter. I was like, who are you? And it was this moment of like, I need a moment. You know, I I need that moment to understand who this person is, who I'm, who I'm meeting for the first time. And then also, you know, you have a baby on your chest. I tore So I was being, you know, stitched up and there there was just so much happening around you. And I remember at one point, um, the nurse coming in and just grabbing my boob and putting my baby on my boob, obviously walking me through it, but, and me just being like, what is happening? Like, I don't know what is happening right now. And I mean, my husband had no idea either. We were both sobbing, like, you know, just like all of these things that are going on and you need a moment for, 
for all of that to process, because like you're saying, we all, you know, when you take the birthing classes, when you, um, you know, talk to providers, you get into the knowledge of, okay, skin to skin, delayed cord clamping, you know, let's place the baby on the breast at one point right away, or, or at some point when birth happens and, um, but it happens really quickly. It kind of feels like this tornado. Yeah. Um, you know, to your point, sorry to cut you off. No, no. I feel like that's the design of hospitals right now. And so delayed cord clamping in standardized medicine is 30 to 60 seconds for a cord to stop pulsing completely can take up to five minutes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, a baby does not need to eat for a while after birth, like, okay, the, you know, breastfeeding should start pretty closely and it can also help release the placenta too. Yeah. But I think that's what they were doing with me. Yeah. To try and release it. Mm-hmm. They'll also do that thing with their feet. Yes. They massage me. And I was like, Hey, it was just a lot. There's a lot of sensory yeah. overload and I have no regrets about having my birth in a hospital. I really don't. And I think that was a huge lesson for me. Um, I thought I was going to be crunchy witchy woman. I thought I was going to be candles everywhere, all of this stuff. And then COVID hit. And for me, I felt a lot more security being in a hospital. And that was just my personal decision. And I think that's the beauty of choice in birth and that you have your choices and you have those decisions that you can make. And I didn't regret my decision at all, but it also became really clear. Yeah. Birth is, is a really important, um, place where you have to be able to make those decisions. Like it's a really important moment where you need to be able to find what resource is best for you, because there can be a lot of judgment around all of those decisions. How do you like combat that judgment around this space? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess by not combating and just, accepting that it's who we are as humans and we're always going to come up against people who don't agree with us or you know have have something to say because what we're doing is defying their beliefs of who they are and when I work with my clients um you know we spend we spend a lot of time just getting getting to know each other but ultimately it's their birth and I will provide the research, but it's, it's, you know, if you're going to make a baby, like that's your journey, that's your job to do the research and educate yourself, not because you have to tick some sort of box to be the super most amazing parent, but it's helpful to get to know yourself in this new role that you're stepping into. Cause when you have a kid, as you know, everything changes, mm-hmm. everything changes and you take pieces of yourself with you, but the advocacy and the standing your ground and getting to know who you are starts way before the baby comes. So, you know, I have a lot of clients who, you know, they're just getting all of, so there's something about when someone sees a pregnant woman, they're like, let's tell her the most terrible things. Yeah. Or let's comment on her body. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's tell her my horrible birth story and comment on her body. Yeah. And, you know, 
it's hard. It's a hard thing to have to deal with. And I wish I had an answer to say, like, I could make it go away or that there was some way to like, you know, chutzpah and like, <laughs> ah, but really it's, it's almost going back to the yoga, yogic place of compassion and working from that place. I, I've found that there are, there are times when more intense energy is needed for sure. Like if someone's crossing a boundary, shut that shit down. Mm -hmm. But if something can be met with compassion, that energy is the most healing, not only for the other person, but for you and your baby. Mm -hmm. And it sucks because the pregnant person is the vulnerable one, right? Yeah. But in that conversation, they're not. Yeah. And that's the rub. And that that's like, I think that's a lot of the reason why I do this work is like, honoring that vulnerability and being on the leading edge of creating a culture, like a new culture where it's respected and like honored. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I love that so much. And I think that something, I mean, just having those conversations is really important. There was so much about birth and this space and learning about all of these different avenues and choices that you can have that, I found we weren't talking about and that we still aren't talking about. And I'm very open about it. And pregnancy, I was like, I had a really hard pregnancy. I really, really rough pregnancy. And I was in a lot of pain and I was told these things are normal and, oh, that's normal. And this is normal. And I feel like having more open conversation about what might not be normal or you know, the pain that you don't have to go through because everyone just kind of brushes things under the rug when it comes to pregnancy and birth. At least that was from my experience. I felt like when I got pregnant and when I had my child, I, I entered into this strange club where it was like, oh, this is where we talk about everything. But outside of that in this other space, no, we don't talk about all of that. Um, and so I just would be like, to my friends who I had talked about, you know, pregnancy with and, and who I knew wanted to have babies, I'd be like, your nipples are going to go through something. Okay. And like, <laughs> and I would be like really open with them about like, there's this thing called a, a mucus plug, get ready. And like, it was, and so I just feel like there's so many conversations that we're not having because of a patriarchal culture. And I just feel like you sharing, um, space and holding space for these moments is really, really important and very needed. How has this all changed your perspective on, um, you know, on, on having these conversations. Oh my God, girl. Like I, do you know anything about the Zodiac sign Pisces? No. Um, I'm like, no, I do not know about the Zodiac sign Pisces. That's where my son is. I am, my head is in the clouds. Like, I'm Oh yeah. I, I, okay. Yes. I thought you said do you know my thoughts on the Zodiac sign Pisces? Oh. And I was like, no, I do not, ma'am. No, I'm married to a Pisces. <laughs> oh, so you know, you know, our type. Yeah. yeah. Super. I mean, like 
I, when someone would say the patriarchy, just because I like tend to lean a little bit more progressive, I'd be like, yeah, the patriarchy, screw them. But I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, bad guys. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Um, But until I, until I started to like work in, in healthcare and work as a doula and be in this field, and also like being a woman who's slept slept with men before and like how is it that so many men have gotten by without knowing about the clitoris mm-hmm. <laughs> this, is a, this is a big problem mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. why is it okay <laughs> not to say that like we're in that situation right now but you know what yeah. I mean like that that was just like striking to me when I realized just how accessible that information is and why, why it's just not an active part of culture that like, this is what cultivates healthy relationships is when both partners are being taken care of. And then I'm like, Oh wait, well the, the woman, if you identify as a woman, like the woman Mm -hmm. in the relationship would suffer from this setup. That's very common. Um, so I think that that was one that really hit home for me. And then in my, and that ties in with my work as a doula too. Um, but then like being in the hospital and like some obstetricians still put soap on the vagina. What? What? (laughs) I remember the first time I saw it and I was like, are you fucking shitting me? what are you doing? I mean, I didn't say anything at the time because I just so utterly shocked and I didn't, it wasn't, it was just a lot. And I was a young doula and I just, and I mean, it's like, and that, and like the way that women's bodies are treated as a pathology in birth yeah so often and not all the time like this isn't across the board and I'm not throwing shade on providers because I know that they work hard and they're in it for the right reasons but the system medical system that folks are going through in standardized medicine is a patriarchal system that is not up to date with the current findings that we know about women's bodies Mm -hmm. that's a problem it's a big problem and understanding the like long-term health effects on a, a woman who's experienced violence in the hospital or culturally. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then is meant to be brushed off. Like, you know, they did it to themselves or you're not being strong enough, or you must just be a crazy woman. And it, that was like, seeing that over the last couple of years has made me really concerned. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just the basics of consent in, in, um, a medical space. It's it, that in itself and like understanding, um, that you are number one, primarily, I would, yeah, primarily dealing with a population that has um, experienced more sexually based trauma and that you need like you need to walk people through what you're doing to them when you are doing anything to a person. Um, I am very fortunate in that I had a provider that would do that. And I now tell every single 
person who I know um, who is, you know, going to be giving birth in any capacity that, um, you know, have your provider walk you through what they're doing with you. Um, Cause I have heard from, you know, people in my life that they have had providers that didn't do that. I mean, my mom has horror stories of her births where, you know, people would be placing fingers inside of her and not telling her. And I think that, you know, now I, like I could, I'm feel so fortunate that I do have a provider that has said, okay, may I do this? Or may I, you know, um, check you in this way? This is what I'm going to be doing. And this is how this process works. When I perform a cervical check, um, you can also refuse a cervical check. Um, you know, just those basic moments in care, um, I have heard from other folks that that's not happening with them. And so if you're listening to this, like I would encourage you to definitely be very um, open and like clear with your provider around consent. And because I do think like what you're saying, there are so many processes where people are just going through the motions of what they've always done and what they've been taught and not learning and not like being open to an education, um, in a new way. Yeah. And I think it's hospital culture too, you know, like we have to take that into consideration. It's that it's a, there's, there's a culture in the hospital that, you know, it's just a bunch of like people working together, you know, like, and there's like egos and things and, you know, so that, that's all, that's all going on as well. And he makes such a good point of God, like, yeah, I wish I would have led with that, Christina, but yeah, <laughs> it really is. It is well, it's consent. really important. It, it's consent. And I, again, like I had a great hospital experience for my birth. Like I have zero regrets about that. And I know plenty of women who have as well and birthing individuals who have, um, and, you know, I know people who have had horrible hospital experiences and, um, you know, I think it's and, and horrible experiences in birthing centers and great experiences in birthing centers. So I think it's just a range and it is really about choice and really about um, providers in any capacity having that education, like you're saying. Um, and I really, really love that the thread that I'm seeing in your story is your openness to the process and being really open to um, learning and being open to absorbing all of this. Where did that come from in you? Because I just think it's really rad. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, gosh, I would think like makes me a pain in the ass because I just... <laughs> No. If someone tells me like, you should do this thing since the time I was a kid, I was always like, well, why? Mm. My mom (laughs) said my favorite phrase was because I don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) But like, well, why do I need to do this thing? Like, what, can you give me a a good reason? Mm -hmm. You know? And, and I think, um, uh, there's a singer songwriter named, um, Oh my gosh. I can't believe I'm forgetting his name right now. It'll come to me. But, um, he said, we all need a little bit more reckless curiosity. Mm, I like that. Yeah. And, and I, I really feel like, um, 
there's always a, there's a little bit of, of that in everything that I've made my life's work um, is just kind of asking those bigger questions of like, well, why? And I think I'm a lot more careful now and I've learned to kind of um, not all questions have to be answered. Yeah. <laughs> um, and some cards just are going to lay where they lie. Um, but I think in, in this case and in my career, you know, the, there's just so many different layers and that's where the, that's where the interesting part is. Totally. Why? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, that's part of why I started this. It's like, I'm nosy. Tell me everything. Like I, (laughs) how I'm on the struggle bus. Like, how are you not on the struggle bus? Can we figure out what's going on together? Like, how did this happen? Well, back at the ranch, Melissa pulls up in her struggle bus too. (laughs) Exactly. Well, that's what I've learned. This is what I've learned through doing this show. I'm like, we're all on the struggle bus. You're on the struggle tractor. You're on the struggle truck. Like, (laughs) that's what I've learned and so I just really appreciate like people who come to this platform with me and like just like you who are really open and vulnerable about that experience um as we come to a close I've had such a wonderful time talking with you yeah (laughs) thank you for being here um so as we come to a close uh what what do you like see for your future in, in your work and, and like, what is kind of that dreamy space? I know that you encompass, um, like, what do you envision for yourself? So this really cool thing is happening right now in Buffalo where myself and a couple of other doulas are creating a team model because, um, we're all really interested in working together and creating community for our clients. That's just not possible when we're like one man, one man ships, one man little, I'm like on a one man dinghy, you know, (laughs) (laughs) with your like dilation chart. (laughs) With my vulva mask. Yes. (laughs) I'm like eerie. Um, so we're going to bring all of our dinghies and vulvas together <laughs> cohesive crew. Um, but yeah, joking aside, this is something that we're really working hard on right now to launch in 2022. Um, yeah. And what that means for our community here in Buffalo and also nationwide for any birthing people who want to join on, we'll have um, workshops, classes, um, you know, every, a lot of virtual options, couples workshops, similar to the one that we did together. Yeah. Um, and like a larger virtual community, as well as a community here in Buffalo where, you know, our clients can be with a larger group of doulas who come with like a wider expansive knowledge and they'll have their point person. Right. But also have access to all of these other doulas and we'll be able to work with each other to create a schedule that allows us to be a little more rested and uh, (laughs) (laughs) a little, you know, mostly just more rested. Um, and I just am over the moon to, to start this, this next chapter, a little scared, you know, I definitely, um, it's, it's a huge leap, I think, for all of us to kind of go from being on our vulva dinghies to coming together <laughs> as one, um, but I'm ready. And yeah, with, with yoga, you know, just uh, every day, 
teaching and uh, practicing. Um, yeah. Teach clients privately, um, virtually and in person and have a couple of classes threaded through the week. And that just feels like a slow growing fern, you know, something that's always just going to kind of be there, but there's no, I think the long-term vision for me in practice and in teaching is to just have like a steady mind. <laughs> yes. I love that vision. <laughs> if I could have that, like, and I, I feel like I, like I'm there. I do. I love my, I love where I am in my life. I love the woman that I'm becoming and the women that I've been able to connect with and meet. And I think, um, you know, that's a testament to like, getting up and just doing the, doing the work of practice. And I see you're on a, a daily yoga. I am. Practice. Yeah. I'm actually after this, um, this time together, I'm going to hop on my mat. I was excited. Cause I was like, I know after I talked to Melissa, I'm going to be super motivated to do this. <laughs> so yeah, I am. And it's going really well. And I used to do, I, when we were living in the same city, I used to do yoga every single day. And I just fell away from it. And I think, um, going through something that is so heavy in your body and coming out of it, um, you know, like being pregnant and giving birth and coming out of it and being, feeling like very disconnected, um, to this new body made me really crave connection and revisiting this daily practice has been such a great reminder of what my body can do and how it can heal. And it's really wonderful. I mean, I, I love it. It's my favorite way to move my body. And, um, it's just such a beautiful reminder of like surrender, um, which I think is really, really important as a thread in our lives to face, especially with you starting something new and you just surrendering to that process. It's really fucking scary. I'm like, honestly, Christina, do you have prodromal labor is no, it's it's like have you ever heard of someone who like has labor for two weeks just like little hints of it just oh yeah that was fucking me like yeah that's prodromal labor I'm I've been in the prodromal labor of this stuff and I just need to fucking give birth already you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) like yeah release into the process and let it unfold and open yeah and I've really I've been holding on to this baby I've been holding on to this safety net of like I know how to handle it. Like I can do it all. I'll be fine on my own. And it's just, you can't move the needle by yourself. No, you you, you need to work with other people and it's scary, but it's also something that I am really ready for. And (laughs) very in my, like get in my head about, but very ready for and excited about the, like, any, like all the potential that lies now with making that decision. Yeah. Oh, I'm really proud of you and I'm really excited for you. I can't (laughs) wait to see how this evolves because I think when you really put your energy into something, you go for it. And, and I really think this is going to be super cool and really cool to see. So I can't wait. Where can people find you if they want to work with you? Sure. So it's uh, Melissa, it's melissalarson.com. To promise you it's not self-indulgent. It was just like easier to do it that way than come up with some sort of <laughs> brand name. Cause all the cool like yoga doula brand names are taken. So <laughs> <laughs> 
super easy. Um, and there, my yoga offerings are there as well as um, doula services in Buffalo and virtually. And then um, I have like a newsletter to, you can sign up for. Um, and, you know, I'm always like writing and putting information out there. Usually it's on Instagram with stories these days, but I love yeah. connecting that way and hearing other people's stories too. Yes. And she has great guinea pig content on her Instagram as well. <laughs> I, know Instagram that, stories. Like, I know that the, like, I watched a couple of Instagram people <clears throat> who were like, tell you how to properly use the algorithm. And I know I'm like supposed to do the professional things on my <laughs> stories, but really all I want to do is post cute pictures of animals. Listen, I feel like it's basically <laughs> sage for your timeline. Like it's that boost that you need. It's the, like, every time you do it, I'm like, thank you, God. Like, it's thank you, God. It's a quokka. <laughs> thank you for this tiny marsupial that Melissa has gifted me during this moment. <laughs> oh my gosh. My friend, I am dying. I loved connecting with you today. Well, thanks for having me on your oh beautiful gosh. show. Big fangirl over here. Big oh, fangirl. you're the best. I love you. And I just love connecting with you. And um, thank you for being on the show. I really, really appreciate it. It's such an honor. And um, for those who are listening, please connect with Melissa and her services. And um, remember your voice matters and your story matters. And we'll see you on the next episode of Growing Woman. Thank you, everyone. Growing Woman is brought to you by Amplify Her Media. Amplify Her Media is a media company dedicated to amplifying and uplifting women's voices and stories. Follow along for more at AmplifyHerMedia.com or follow along on Instagram at AmplifyHerMedia.